I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes and down goes Brown, Sean McAdoo with you on this episode of the podcast. We got a double dose of guests for you. Uh, Craig Custance is going to join us, announce an exciting new addition to our podcast lineup, as well as preview the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll talk a little Rangers and Jack Eichel with uh, Craig as well. And speaking of the Stanley Cup playoffs in Granger things, Jesse Granger will walk us through some Stanley Cup playoff pool picks if you're drafting a postseason fantasy team. We'll uh, also tackle a couple of your listener emails this week, and uh, we'll chat iconic hockey photos and David Volick's overtime winner in this week in hockey history. All right, Sean, you know what? Uh, I think uh, I think what, what we're going to do here is we're going to kick off our show this week by helping launch another show within the athletic uh, hockey umbrella, okay? So this is going to be like one of those, you know, those uh, back in the day, there used to be sitcoms, weren't there like a crossover episode, and then all of a sudden there's like a new there's like a new show, right? Like back in yeah. the day? Yeah, yeah. There's a new wacky neighbor. We should invite <laughs> him over and see what he's like. Yeah. It's a wacky neighbor from the South that's coming in. And that's going to be part yeah. of the theme of this. Because, you know, we do the athletic hockey show. Uh, I I host with you, Sean, on, on Thursdays. Haley Salvian and I do Mondays. And we all live north of the 49th. And so I think there's a feeling of what if we could get an athletic hockey show with an American feel to it. And that's why we're bringing in our guy, Craig Custance, into the fold with an exciting announcement here for our uh, listeners of the podcast. Oh, hey, gentlemen. I like that. So I, I'm trying to think of which um, spinoff I'd want to be. Like, I don't think it's Frasier. I don't even, I, I, I wish they, do they even do those anymore? Do, do we have sitcoms or even sitcom spinoffs? I don't, I'm not I sure. don't no, think you, we do anymore. But you, I, did, you're, I, I think you guys should be aiming for like a Mork and Mindy vibe. Okay. Well, that's we, a good. Oh man, we should have had Custons come out of an egg. That would have been. <laughs> that would have been money. Uh, I think. Am I wrong on this? Did Joey Tribbiani 
briefly have a spinoff from Friends yes. on his own? He did, right? Yes. He did. In fact, we were in, when I was living in Atlanta, we were regular, I think it was just called Joey. <laughs> and it was, I don't think it was good, but for those of us who liked Friends, it was just enough. It had just enough of that nostalgia. Nostalgia is not the right word because it happened right after Friends, but it was, um, it just gave us our, our Friends fix. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I well, I'm the Joey. Now, the, the beauty, so just to fill in listeners, um, starting Tuesday during the playoffs, we Sean Gentili and I, two proud red-blooded Americans, are going to, um, we're, we're going to fix what's clearly a huge, giant problem within the athletic hockey show. I mean, just look at your roster, heavy Canadian. Really, if you look at it, the only American is kind of is Scott Burnside and like he was born in Windsor. I don't or wherever he was born. Like I don't even know if that counts. He's 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 become an American. We've we we've adopted him. Um and so uh, you know there's been we've just been flooded with complaints at the athletic. I I just have to sort through this giant mailbag every day people saying not enough American coverage uh, on the athletic podcast network. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm a problem solver by nature and we jumped in. I called Sean Gentilly and said, hey, you know, would you, would you be willing to hop on once a week and we can talk about the really where we know the Stanley Cup winner is going to come from, right? As as history has shown over and over again. I mean, they had to, you know, mess up the divisions just to give the Canadians a shot. So, I, you know, I, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about where we're going to go with it. I'm sure we're going to be humble and we won't be obnoxious at all about it. It's every Tuesday. I don't know how long it's going to be. We're, we're going to have guests. Um, it's going to go as long as it has to be, it, but we're pro- it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and just if there was any doubt about the kind of pull that you and, and Gentilly have, you're not even letting the NHL start the Canadian playoffs on time. Like yes. you're going to force them to just go all American until you've got that first show out of the way. Uh, that's a power move. Well, we wanted a lot of content, right? So we're like, look, if you can just, you know, there's going to be a lot of attention on the Leafs and, and, and the Canadians and, and whatever. So even though we all know, really, we've been waiting for this Florida series. That, like, this is a great example right here. You know, all, all we've been hearing about in the media is Montreal, Toronto, when we have a historic Florida series for the first time in NHL history between Tampa Bay and Florida. Nobody's talking about it. Great series. Now, we probably won't talk about it either because I mean, <laughs> we got, I want listeners. But yeah. you can. That's that's really a great example of of, of the issue here. Okay, I, you know what though? That's a that's a great spot to leap off here. Which series do you guys think is actually better for hockey? Like, if you're looking at this from an <laughs> NHL's perspective, Toronto Montreal obviously has the historical uh, context and the history, but Florida Tampa has never happened before. Is there a, is there any argument to be made, guys, that Florida Tampa will do more for the game than Montreal Toronto? No, I, I think that's think so. a that's a tough argument unless we get an absolute classic that the Panthers win. I think that's mm. the ideal scenario, right? Because it's it, it's the Lightning don't need this. The Lightning are pretty firmly established as not just a great team, but one of the best franchises in the NHL. They're they're on solid ground in terms of ownership finances, all of that stuff. It's Florida that's always been the problem. And we've all done it. We've all made our jokes over the last uh, 25 years about the the attendance in Florida and the fan base and all of this. And the counter is always, yeah, but but the team never wins. And you never really know what you've got in a market until they can win something. A 
a seven-game classic with lots of bad blood and storylines and ups and downs, and then the Panthers winning game seven, that might be a boost that that market needs. And that would help the NHL. That would be good news. Um, But it's not going to be on the same level as Toronto, Montreal. So I I think, Ian, it would only work because... I fear that that even if it goes seven games and it's a great series, it's it's going to be there's going to be still uh, overshadowed by other series. And that you know what I mean. Like we're even talking about how we're covering it and how we want to do it, and it's it's just hard. Like I think almost better would be Florida to go on an amazing run. If we're saying okay, how how can we really impact this market, and then to face Toronto at some point in the in the like in Barkov becomes you know the superstar that he probably deserves to be. I had, we did our um, annual Stanley Cup tiers in where I talked to scouts and coaches and players and, and have them rate. And a comment from a scout. Now, it's it's a bit of hyperbole, so take it for that. But he said, you know, if Barkov was in Toronto or in Edmonton and playing with Dreisaitl and Marner, he would be in that conversation for best player in the league. Um, he's that good. He said he just carries four guys around on his back every single night in Florida, and nobody knows it. And I know we've been saying Barkov is underrated over and over again. But for, have so, for someone to say... He's the best player in the league. He's in that conversation, um, it's, it, but he's playing in anonymity in Florida. was really interesting to me. Um, and so I think it almost would take a, a matchup, not with your other neighbor in Florida, which is fun, and, and, I th- and I think it's fun for those fan bases, but I think it would take something on a much larger stage. You know, uh, what I really liked about uh, uh, Sean's piece this week was, the, you know, the, the, the bandwagon guide. I 100% agree with you, Sean, the Florida Panthers have that it factor. Like I, unless you, I, I mean, I mm. can't even, I guess, I guess if you're a lightning fan, maybe you just dislike the Panthers, but there's a lovable element to that team, right? Like the Florida Panthers have a likable element. And yeah. I, I'm not sure who outside of Tampa Bay would be cheering for the lightning against the Panthers. Right. That that's, that's what I said in the piece. I had, I had my bandwagon guide uh that went up this week and look you're looking at this matchup and i and i don't say that i'm I'm not knocking tampa bay in fact i'm doing the opposite they're they're the model franchise but you look at the florida panthers they come in they go to the final in 96 they have that that run that we that we all remember they haven't won a playoff round since then so you talk about a fan base that's due for for something to cheer about uh the panthers are are tops on your list and look at what happens in the meantime. Their expansion cousin from the same state goes on, wins a couple of Stanley Cups. Mm. As I say, establishes themselves as this great franchise. You know, it's like the, uh, oh yeah, there goes Big Brothers going off to medical school. He's going to get his degree. You know, it's, <laughs> and you know, you're the, the still sitting on the couch in mom and dad's basement. You can't get it together. And then like, finally, this is the chance. And they're a good team and they're easy to like. You know, Joel Quenville, they got they got some personality. It's a fun team. And then Tampa Bay, who won the Stanley Cup last year, you can't no. bandwagon the team that won the year before. Like no. that's that's front running. You can't do that. If if you're a neutral fan, okay, so obviously Lightning fans, you're still going to cheer for your team. But if you're a neutral fan and you're looking at this and you're saying I'm going to cheer for Tampa Bay, something's wrong with you. Like that's that's not you've got to go for the the plucky underdog that really isn't that much of an underdog when you look at the, the, the how good the team is, uh, you got to root for the Florida Panthers here. Yeah, I agree, and, and I don't. And I think there's a potential payoff too if you invest in this team. I mean, Tampa's the better team. There's no doubt about it. But um, you know, when when I talk to people about this matchup, they'll, they'll point out, yeah, 
you know, Kucherov's coming back, Stamkos is coming back, but there's a lot of dynamics in play when you just drop two star players in. Like we also mm-hmm. want to say, oh, it's going to fix everything, and we can make a salary cap joke and and be on our way. But now you you know you're changing roles a little bit, you're changing dynamics. Um, it's I don't care if you're the best player in the world, which Kucherov may be. It's it's hard to walk in, jump in, and and have your first game in the playoffs. I, I think so. If Florida is you know. Florida, which seems to get every um, besides the Ekblad situation, like everything's gone really well for them. Um, maybe you pounce early while they're still figuring things out in Tampa and and get things rolling. I think that's that's a possibility here. And the other thing to keep in mind is um, I had someone tell me, and it's hard to argue this: Joel Quenville is the best in-game coach in the NHL, the best. So this is not a slight on John Cooper, obviously, who uh, you know is great, but. When, if you're talking about somebody who can sit there and work a series and knows how to navigate a playoff and and you know can try to find a way to to work his way through a game and take advantage of whatever opportunities he sees, you know Joel, is, you know he's that guy. He, like he's a bit of an X factor here. You know, I think a lot of people look at that series and say that one feels like it's going to go seven games. If let me ask you guys here, let, let's let's big picture this and the, the West division of course we don't have that solved as as we're recording this so there's a little bit up in the air in terms of Colorado and Vegas and if they're playing Minnesota or St. Louis if you guys looked at the first round matchups and you went around the league and you saw you got the Islanders and the Penguins you got the Capitals and the Bruins and then the North division you have Toronto Montreal Edmonton Winnipeg and then um Nashville Carolina Florida Tampa I, look at that I did that all off the top of my head Okay, so yeah. wow, here, here's my question: that, by the way. That Is Florida Tampa the lock it in? If I had to 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 guess which series goes seven, it's that one. I, or do you guys feel like Washington Boston to me is another mm. one that I feel like, man. Yeah, both of both of the East Division ones kind of have that that vibe. I, I'll I, I'm going to cheat a little bit. It, it my pick is. Because we don't even know who they're playing, but I'd, I'd say that Minnesota Wild series mm-hmm. that just feels like one where the other, whether it's Colorado or Vegas, they're going to be the favorites. Everybody's already booked our tickets for for Vegas, Colorado in round two, and you can just see Minnesota, a real good team that's maybe not getting enough respect, hanging around and hanging around. And I'm not saying that necessarily pull the upset, but suddenly you're in a game seven and you're sitting there going, "Oh, oh this." Uh, uh, the, the the favorites might be in trouble here. I don't even know who they're playing, but I'm going to pick the the wild series as my pick to go seven. I like that the team with really nothing to lose, but has talent and depth, and you know, and a player and they can play both those teams hard. They especially can. Vegas. They have given Vegas <laughs> they give an Vegas absolute fits. battle every single time. Hundred so, percent. Uh, boy, that's yeah. And it's I I always feel like for those teams that we say are the you know. Locked in Stanley Cup favorites. That first round is is the biggest hurdle they're going to face. Like it, you know, mm-hmm. you you have all that pressure. If you if you lose here, it's a huge disaster for everyone. So I always feel like those favorites, uh, it's like that's hard. That's that's their hardest round. And and so I, and you have a t- I like that choice. My pick was going to be Boston Wash. Like I, I just two you know two teams that tons of experience, tons of pride, big teams. It's gonna, they're just going to be bruising, grinding it out and. Um, I think that's I, I I picked Boston to come out of it because um, I have a little concern about Washington's health if, if I'm predicting, but 
I, I see that one as the the seven game series. Okay, we we actually need you to play neutral um, judge here, Craig. Okay, so just to peel back the mm-hmm. curtain a little bit, when I was in high school, I was a Habs Montreal Canadiens fan. That was my team. Sean, as everyone knows, down goes Brown, huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And back the last time we almost had a Toronto-Montreal series, Craig, would have been the Stanley Cup final in 1993, if not for L.A. intervening. They win game six, they win game seven. We get, uh, we get that Stanley Cup final. So neutral observation here, Craig. Toronto ends up beating yeah. L.A. in 1993, and they play the Habs in the Cup final. Who wins the Stanley Cup in 1993? <laughs> Oh man, I think very I carefully about your answer. Gosh, I feel like I can't win with this. No, I can't. I'll say um, I'm going to say um, I'll say Toronto, yeah, like because it can't be proven it. wrong. I knew I liked them. <laughs> knew it. I like I I I don't know. I, I it, that's 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 a tough one I, to me. And I know I'm not allowed to talk <laughs> about the Canadian teams contractually, but I like that series to me. Um. It's so fascinating because the Montreal team you're going to see is one that we maybe we haven't seen in a while, right? Like they're getting so many people back, and so, and you know we could talk about Weber and we can talk about Carey Price, but Brendan Gallagher to me is is the the key, and not just to me, to a lot of people. Um, and how healthy he is, and whether or not he can do Brendan Gallagher things is is such an X factor in that series, and um, I, I, like. That may be a, be a breeze for Toronto, and they can keep on moving. But um, I don't know. That one is fascinating to me. Montreal is—they've got some interesting pieces. It's just I don't know if they all fit, and I don't—I'm not predicting an upset there. But um, I think there's there's yeah. potential for some real issues. I'll I'll just say this about that series: a big part of the reason that the Leafs and the Habs have not met in the playoffs for for the last 40 years, and they were in different conferences for, for half of that. But for the last 20 years, they've been in the same division. It, almost every year, it's uncanny. One team's good and one team's not. It, it's just yeah. one of those things. You go down the list and it's just, it's, it, it, there almost never is a season where they're both good teams at the same time. And so it, every year, there's these discrepancies. One's good, one's bad. They play in the regular season. It never matters who the good team is and who the bad team is. It's the same game every time. It's almost like when these two teams get out there, just whatever is supposed to happen goes out the window and you get a close game, you get crazy stories, all of this stuff. So uh, I, I'll, I'll just say anyone from the outside who's looking at this series going, oh, Toronto's a way better team. You know, Toronto's going to win this easy. It, you haven't seen what this rivalry <laughs> looks like in the last... 20, 30, 40 years, it's, it's it throw everything, you know, out the window and, and it's not quite flip a coin territory, but, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the NHL playoffs is pretty close to that anyways. And I, yeah. I think this series will surprise people. To me, the most interesting thing ultimately in, in this whole tournament, and I wrote about it a little bit today is that, um, we don't know what, you know, these teams haven't faced each other once they come out of these divisions. And um, so we've all s- sat here and assessed Edmonton and Toronto against each other in Montreal. And um, I, I, like this this quote from a player I got when, when doing our tears, I, I loved it. So, you know, everyone assumes Toronto's this powerhouse. Um, and he said, there's steamrolling teams in the Canadian division. Guess what? I don't think any of the teams in the Canadian division are good. Any of them. So if you're sitting there saying, I don't like any teams in that division, being the winner and even coming out of it, like 
if if we think there's that big a gap, and I don't, I I, I think the NHL is so, you know, the, the, there's not a huge big difference between any of these teams. But if you really believe that division is a tier below these other ones, then even them getting out of that, you know, maybe setting you know fans up for disappointment if they come in and face a, just a powerhouse. And not to mention that at this point, we're all assuming that Canadian winner is going to have to go down to the States and, mm-hmm. and probably play on the road. It, with this schedule that the league is serving up, there's a good chance that whoever, the, the the American division winners might get a little bit of a rest while we all have to wait for the North division to finish up. If that round two series in the North goes, goes deep, goes seven games, you could have a situation where a Canadian team wins the division and it's like, congratulations, pack up. Tomorrow, you're moving to wherever it is in the States, and you got your first game of the next round against a rested team the night after that. Yeah. I I, I feel like I don't the, – the whole, oh, the division's no good, I think has been way overplayed. I, yeah. don't, I don't buy that. Uh, I don't buy that we can know. But I, I really do feel like we're sleeping on how steep a path it's going to be for that Canadian winner mm. – once they get to round three, they're going to have a lot of a lot of things set up against them. Sean, can you just admit on behalf of Leafs fans that if Ottawa had snuck into the four spot, that would scare the life out of you in the first round? I mean, any Leaf fan who's not scared <laughs> heading into the playoffs is is not paying attention. But yeah, no, that uh, I, I you, nobody want nobody wants uh, nobody wants the sickos anywhere near them these days. So yeah, that. Uh, that uh, that would have been a tough one, hey, guys. Obviously, we got the playoffs coming up, but uh, as the season, the regular season wraps up, a couple of pretty big storylines uh, played out this week, and I'm wondering if there's any connection or uh, a kind of a connective tissue between the two, and that is the New York Rangers uh, part ways with David Quinn as their uh, head coach. I'm wondering, does that have any impact on their potential pursuit of Jack Eichel? And I think a lot of people looked at the two and said, "Well, that's his old coach from BU. It makes sense." Craig, I'll start with you on that. Do you think there's any any connection? Does that impact their odds of getting Jack Eichel that David Quinn is no longer their head coach? No, I, I think these are two completely unrelated things because um, you're not like Jack Eichel's not a free agent, right? Like it wasn't. You're not trying to lure him to New York. His no trade doesn't kick in for another year. So the Sabers are going to make a deal when they trade him, if they trade him, and the expectations they will that that. Gives them the biggest return, and the Rangers, whether or not Quinn was their coach, if it makes sense, they're gonna, you know, and, and I think it does on a lot of levels. You, you know, they're gonna pursue it. So, I think it's, I think it's, you know, a classic new GM that's not his guy. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna make his changes, and and um, I, the whole Rangers thing, I've been just baffled by it from start to finish. To be honest, I, I you know, I look at. I, I thought that team was showing progress. I liked what Jeff Gordon and JD had done there, and I, I think David Quinn. We'd seen the players, young players, make progress, um, but it, it, to, to see massive, massive changes like this for a team that that is loaded with young talent and is knocking on the door is is puzzling. And so now um, you have to, you know, now you factor in the Eichel thing, and I, I think a lot of people are connecting the Rangers there. I've long felt the best fit is the LA Kings. And, you know, that's a team that maybe has more urgency to not wait out their top prospects because you have Kopitar and Doughty. And it makes a little bit more sense to bring in somebody who's young, but not that young. And they certainly have the ammunition to pull it off. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, to answer your question, I think they're unrelated. Yeah. And, you know, Sean, I think it's interesting, too, as we talk about Jack Eichel. Uh, I don't we did a uh, we kind of had to do a poll where each of us submitted whether or not we thought the team that we covered would be interested in Jack Eichel. And I, don't, I know, Sean, that you, you're of the thought that there should probably be 30 teams in the league trying to knock down the door of Kevin Adams in Buffalo and, and getting uh, Jack Eichel. What's your read into it, Sean, when you see so many teams seemingly uh, reluctant to maybe roll the dice on Jack Eichel? Yeah, I mean, we we don't know what's the thinking is behind closed doors, but it, it, it feels to me like uh, in, the, in the media and certainly in the fan bases, I mean, the, the slices of that that I see, it feels like everyone's already working to talk themselves out of uh, making a move for this guy. <laughs> it's and it's, and you know, that's I, anyone who reads my stuff knows I've been banging the drum for years. NHL GMs, they're too risk averse. They, they are always looking for a reason not to do something. Uh, and it, it feels like that thinking has almost spilled over into the rest of us that we just assume that as a starting point. I, I mean, Jack Eichel is an elite level player and it's virtually unheard of in this era for guys like this to hit the trade market. Mm-hmm. So I think every team should be making a call. Uh, I think the last time we we talked about this back in, in March or wherever this started to flare up, I said, look, everybody should be lining up for this guy. Since then, the injury does complicate it a little bit. Uh, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly acknowledge that. But uh, yeah, everybody should be at least checking in. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it amazes me every time any big name hits the market. And this is probably the biggest one to, to hit the market in, in a long time. How many fan bases out there will look at their team and go, yeah, we take them. Yeah. But here's our untouchables. And it's this guy, this guy. And you're just going down the list going like, how do you have seven untouchables? Like, how do the Rangers have seven untouchables when they just miss the playoffs? This is <laughs> Jack Eichel you're talking about. You should be uh, you should be willing to move just about anybody, um, and especially if it's a situation where it's a bidding war and you're going up against a bunch of teams. This isn't the Bruins being able to go cheap on Taylor Hall because because uh, the Sabers don't have any other options. This should be a bidding war, and and the the price should be a high one, but we'll see because. Man, NHL GMs love to talk themselves out of things. I think there's two things that go into that. One is teams always love their guys more than other people. So it's like mm-hmm. like fans do it, but I think teams are just as guilty. GMs are just as guilty. There's this attachment to their players, and they end up hanging on to them too long if they're young and they don't pan out. Like there's the, it, you know, the people that cut bait at the right time are few and far between too often. Um, I, I, you raise a great point. Like in all of these uh, – who says no scenarios where fans are like, yeah, we'll do it, but we'll give you, you know, Dumba. And you're like, well, that's, you know, that's, you know, you're solving a problem, not, you know, giving your best yep. player. So any, any trade has to be built around, you know, equitable players. Like they're not, they don't have to trade them. There's going to be a lot of teams involved. And, the, and I think to Sean's point, okay, who, who are the GMs that have shown a history of not uh, who being risk averse? And, you know, historically, it's Doug Wilson is one of those guys who's always a big game hunter. I don't think mm-hmm. there's, I mean, who knows? I don't see a fit, but he's a guy that always is in these conversations. A guy like Brad True Living's always in these conversations. A guy like Yarmo Kekalainen, like that's he's like the wild card. If I'm going to say, okay, who who's not afraid to to pull off a big deal? Who's not afraid to give um, give up real assets to pull this off? It's a guy like him. And who needs a center? Columbus. So. Somebody's going to step up and make the, the proper offer here. And I'll tell you, the, the absolute worst take on this that I'm, I'm hearing from some fans is, 
gee, do we even really want this guy? I mean, oh. he's coming from Buffalo. Do we really? Yeah. Who would ever trade for a Buffalo Sabres disgruntled center and and go on and have success? That would never happen. Like, did we all <laughs> miss the Ryan O'Reilly story like just a couple years ago? Like when the guy was being handed the con Smythe did not, not click in that sometimes a change of scenery and taking a guy out of a losing situation might uh, might actually be a good thing. That That just, that makes me laugh every time I hear it. All right. Uh, listen, Craig, this is uh, great. And again, one last chance for you to plug the new show with the American flavor to it. Coming up Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Um, just uh, if you're already subscribing to this podcast, which you should be, you, it will flow right into your feed whether you want it or not. Me and Sean Gentili, we it's it, we are reuniting. We had a podcast years ago that I, I, use, I would laugh the whole time. Like Sean to me is one of the funniest people I know. I would literally be in tears and – uh, it's, I can't wait. So just don't do anything. Just let it flow into your podcast feed and then hit play. Okay. And as we let you go here, I know you were complaining about the number of Canadians hosting podcasts oh, here. Brutal. Yeah. But here's a trick trivia question for you, Craig Custance. Where was Sean McIndoe down goes Brown? What country was he born in? <laughs> oh God. Um, that is a trick question because yeah. uh, it's you're clearly not Canada. Well, or maybe um, it is. You, you you get a guess here. I'm going to say Ireland. That's not a bad guess. That's not a bad guess. Uh, it's not correct, though. It's Australia. I'm ah. the, so Should I have known that? I, I feel know. like I should have known. We've probably You were talking about, about all these I'm Canadians. The I was just nodding along with you. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm tired yeah. of it, too, man. I, not enough Australians the, on the pods. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Craig, thanks for this. And uh, look, we'll uh, look forward to uh, the new podcast dropping on Tuesday. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Craig. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean, time for a little Granger things with our pal Jesse Granger, uh, who covers the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, also, we're going to talk some fantasy kind of playoff pool stuff. As always, this segment brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us here at The Athletic. And Jesse Granger, as we bring you in uh, this week, got to ask you about what a what a weird week it's been for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Still don't know exactly where they're going to end up in that division, but I want to start with Marc-Andre Fleury, who is, you know, potentially could win the Vesna, has already got his hands on the uh, the Masterton trophy, uh, sorry, the uh, the Jennings trophy for lowest goals against. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about his odds of maybe winning the Masterton trophy, because you want to talk about a guy who exemplifies perseverance and dedication. I think Flowers certainly did that, and uh, you you touched on that in a, uh, in, a in an article uh, that dropped this morning. Yeah, he, I, th- I think there are, there are a lot of different 
definitions of the Masterton and you can go different directions with it. Um, but I think if you're going from the direction of who exemplifies what the NHL hopes and what just hockey people all around the world hope hockey players and NHL players um, are. And I think Marc-Andre Fleury, he loves the game. Anytime you talk to anyone about Marc-Andre Fleury, for this piece uh, that just dropped on The Athletic this morning, I got to interview Martin Brodeur about Marc-Andre Fleury. And the first thing he says is... He's always smiling. He he brings the room up. Um, we asked Zach Whitecloud about him the other day. He said, you know what? In a long season, you have bad days. You have good days. You have ups and downs. But with Marc-Andre Fleury, there's never a bad day. Um, and he helps you get through those bad days. And, and last season... Marc-Andre Fleury had some bad days. Um, he was going through, his father was really sick and, and ended up passing away. And he, his numbers struggled during that, that time frame. And, and he, he really struggled with it. And he was able to overcome that. And then right around that time, he was he was benched in the playoffs, and that obviously wasn't easy for him to deal with. A guy who's been used to being the guy, um, and and the Golden Knights ended up signing Robin Leonard in the off season. There were a lot of talks that maybe Flurry could be traded. He said he wanted to stay. It was not the easiest year for him, and he comes back at the age of thirty six. I think a lot of people, including his own front office, expected his best days to be behind him at that point, point. Um, and clearly they weren't. Hell of a year for Marc-Andre Fleury. You, you see him racking up these career accolades. Um, last night, he racked up number, shut out number 67 in his career to pass Patrick Waugh, his childhood hero. That was kind of the, the, the main piece of my story was, was catching a guy who he grew up watching in Montreal as his idol. Um, he finally, he, he's right behind him and wins third all time. But usually when you see guys racking up these, these career accolades, it's usually at the end of their career when they're not exactly at their best and they're kind of just collecting stats. But for Marc-Andre Fleury, amazing as it is, at 36, this is the best season he's ever had as a goalie. He, he has a sub two goals against average, 1.98. Um, his save percentage is a career high. He leads the NHL in goals above expected or goals saved above expected. He's just been phenomenal this year on and off the ice. Basically everything you could possibly hope your goalie does for the Golden Knights this year. Yeah, it's it's a great story, and uh, it's going to be interesting to watch what he can do uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, Sean and I thought this was an interesting story. Uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights this week, had the dress only 15 skaters. Now, if this happened in Ottawa or in, in Vancouver or Buffalo, the fans would be like, you guys are too cheap, or you guys don't know how to manage things, or you guys are dysfunctional. So um, we want to know kind of what, what was that game like and what was the feeling like in Vegas uh, from the fan base that you had to dress only 15 skaters because of the because of the salary cap. Right. And and not so much only have because the Golden Knights have played short guys all season. Um, they've they've played with fewer than 20 skaters on a lot of nights this year, um, but it had never been that extreme. It had never been 15 skaters, which is uh, <laughs> there were jokes on Twitter that guys play beer league with more players than that. Um, but it also happened to be by far the biggest game of the entire regular season, playing the Colorado Avalanche with a chance to clinch the division and the president's trophy and home ice throughout the playoffs all on the line. And you have to play 15 guys. And yes, there was some, the fans, there was definitely a, a contingent of the fans that were criticizing George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon for mismanaging the cap so poorly that you can't field a full team in the biggest game of the season. But 
And 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 to, to further that, Kelly McCrimmon felt the need to hold a media availability five minutes before the players went out for warmups to explain so that Pete DeBoer wouldn't have to in his post game press conference explain exactly why. And what ended up happening was the Golden Knights have played this dangerous game all season of being within a few thousand dollars of the salary cap. And when a guy gets hurt, you have to play a game under NHL rules without him before you can use the emergency roster exemption to bring someone up. Well, they just happened to have two guys get hurt in the same game, Alec Martinez and Peyton Krebs. One of them was Peyton Krebs, who has bonuses because he's still on his rookie ELC, which Kelly McCrimmon said made it even more difficult. And the other, you add in the fact that Usually throughout the season, when guys have gotten hurt, they've placed them on LTIR, which takes them off the salary cap and allows them to bring someone up. But in the final 10 games, you're not allowed to place players on LTIR per NHL rules. So they had Tomas Nosek go down with nine games left. They had Alec Martinez, Max Pacioretty, uh, and, and Peyton Krebs all get hurt. They couldn't use LTIR. They couldn't use the emergency until the next game, which was what they played last night against San Jose. So they 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 were stuck in a game where they had to play 15 players. They had to play a bunch of guys, a lot of minutes. They played really well. To be honest, they beat the Colorado Avalanche four times this year. They shut them out twice. I thought the loss on Monday was their best game they've played against Colorado. They outshot them 37 to 21. They completely controlled the game. There were a couple bounces that didn't go their way and they lost. But I thought for having 15 skaters in the biggest game of the season, I thought they played really well. I mean, you got to give them credit, right? If if any team is going to gamble and get burned, Vegas, <laughs> why not? <laughs> right? Yeah, it fits the theme, at least. For sure, for yeah. sure. And it's it's Kelly McCrimmon said he's like we when we signed Alex Petrangelo this off season, we knew we were putting ourselves in this position. And like I've asked Pete DeBoer throughout the season, is it frustrating as a coach that you can't have a full lineup at your disposal? And and Pete DeBoer would always say, it is a little frustrating until I look down the bench and I see Alex Petrangelo, and I'm like, oh. That's the reason. Okay, I'm all right with it. Like, I'm, I'm good not having my fourth line winger for six minutes tonight so that we can have Alex Petrangelo in the playoffs where the salary cap doesn't exist and the Golden Knights will be able to have a full lineup. All right. So big reason why we had a, I wanted to bring in uh, or, or topic we want to talk about this week, Jesse, is Stanley Cup playoff pools. A lot of fans are making their, you know, getting their drafts ready and, and doing that here in the days ahead. So actually, Sean, let me ask you this question. Sean. I give you the first pick overall in a playoff pool. Who's uh, who's down goes Brown taken first overall in a playoff pool this year? Oh boy! See, that's the beauty of the playoff pool, right? Because yeah. you know, it, it, Connor McDavid is the best, highest scoring player in the league. But do you trust the Oilers to go? I would say three rounds is what is what you want to see from uh, uh, you know uh, any anyone that you pick. I don't think you do. Nathan McKinnon's the first guy who jumps into my mind, but boy, they gotta they gotta get past Vegas, so that becomes a tough one. Uh, you know, I you're not gonna trick me into saying a leaf because uh, I I feel like I'm being set up here, but uh, I I don't know if I do that. You know, I I would I might circle back to McDay. I really think people are sleeping on the Oilers as as a potential team, and and he's the one guy that you know. He he his team could play three rounds and he could lead the, the postseason in scoring. I I would if I'm in my playoff pool, I don't want the first pick. I hope I I don't see my you know my name come up uh, with the first pick if if we're uh doing the snake draft format. But as I'm talking right now, I'm kind of talking myself back into back into Connor McDavid, even though 
they may only play two or three rounds. Yeah, and it's true, right? Like, I think Jesse, like a guy like McDavid, for every round he plays, it might be worth like a round and a half or- Or even right? more. So if you start to, or even the guys, more. Guys, he's more likely to get three points on a given night than to get none. Right. So yeah, I, I honestly think totally. two rounds out of McDavid, like you, you, the, the conversation is clearly between McKinnon and McDavid. If I had to pick one between McDavid and McKinnon, I think because they're both going to run into most likely a difficult matchup in the second round, Vegas for- McDavid or for McKinnon, Toronto for McDavid. I think I'd rather have McDavid just because if I'm only getting two rounds, he's going to get me 20 points in two rounds. Like just the way he's yeah. going off right now. Um, and, and you know what? That Toronto, like the Leafs are a good team, but I, I, nobody all year has been like, you know, who really knows how to shut down a superstar is those Maple Leafs. Right. No, I mean, the lead, if it's, if it's Oilers and Leafs, the Leafs might be like, you know what? Okay. We'll beat you six to five with all the tools we have. And, and you're, meanwhile, you're sitting there with, with McDavid and you're just banking points. Right. You get 14 games in two rounds. He's going to have what? 25 points minimum. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, you know, for me, I, I was hoping that the Vegas golden Knights beat writer would say, I would take Nathan McKinnon first overall in the pool. And then we were going to isolate that clip and we were going to share it everywhere. And I'm, ah, you didn't fall into the trap. Okay. But now let's start to look at some other players, uh, here. And uh, start to look at some other guys that maybe people should think about it. And uh, like Sean was saying, maybe you don't want the first pick overall, but let if maybe you're picking fourth or fifth or sixth, in a, like in a snake draft. Who are some of the names that we should be uh, jumping on? Because like Sean said, it's not just straight up points; it's points plus how deep you think that team will go. Definitely, yeah. And and the the that's the beauty of the playoff pool is it's you're predicting who's going to win and then who's going to score the points on those. Like I was looking at so. To go away from the teams that you sh think are going to go the furthest, I look at it in a different way. Um, like I'm looking maybe at like mid to late round picks and I'm thinking, okay, I want to use my, my first round pick on a guy like McDavid or McKinnon that I think can go far, someone on Tampa Bay that can go far. In the, I look at the East and I say, that to me is the division that I have the least inclination as to who's coming out. That's the most up for grabs in my opinion. So I want to find some somebody in, on, in that division that, has a chance at going far, but he's not going to be a high pick and I can get him later. And I look at a guy like Anthony Mantha, who since that trade coming over to Washington has been rejuvenated and with good reason. The guy hasn't played meaningful games in so long. And I look at a guy like that who is going to be incredibly pumped for these playoffs. And he's been in good form. He has eight points over the last 14 games since coming over. He scored a bunch of big goals. He's playing in his first playoffs of his career. A guy who has been sitting at home watching the playoffs ever since he got in the NHL. Um, he's a guy that I would love to spend a, a later round pick on. A guy um, that I that I circled from Tampa. I think Tampa. I don't want to be the guy who takes one of their superstars that's coming back from injury, whether it's uh, Headman coming back or whether it's Kucherov or Stamkos. I let someone else take that. Give me Andre Palat. Um, he's a guy who is an absolute monster for them this year. 46 points in 55 games, second to only Braden Point on the team. And last year, he was a huge for them in the playoffs with 18 points in 25 games. And I think he's a guy you can get much later. You can count on him. I think Tampa's going to go far. I mean, that's that's a tough road that they've got, like most of the top teams. But I, I still believe in Tampa Bay. I think they're the best team in hockey. Um, I would love to get Andre Palat a little bit later. Let the other people take the risks on on the guys coming back from injury. We don't know what form they're in or how or how soon they'll play. Like Kucherov, we all kind of expect that he's 100 percent healthy and and they've he's only been out because of the LTIR rule. But who knows? Like we 
you never maybe he plays that first game it doesn't feel great so so I like a guy like Andre Palat another uh, safe pick maybe a little early is and it depends on the format for this one but the Vegas goalies you you brought up am I going to pick Nathan McKinnon I'm going to come on here and say Vegas goalies I think that's a first round pick if it's if you're playing a league where you get the team's goalies as a tandem um, and you don't have to worry who's playing that night just because they have the best goalies in the league. The, the, they were the best goalies in the league this year with a team that was playing about league average defense. The Golden Knights were allowing about 17th in the league in scoring chances allowed, 12th in high danger chances. Yet they gave up the fewest goals in the league because Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury were so good. Now the Golden Knights are rounding into form defensively. They haven't allowed 30 shots in a game in their last five games, including that dominant performance against the Avalanche where they only gave up 21, second fewest shots Colorado's had all season. And then last night in their regular season finale, it looked like the Sharks might not get a shot on goal for the entire game. They ended up with 19. Fleury saved all of them for his 67th shutout of his career. So if you have a league format where you're taking a team's goalies, I think Vegas goalies is about as safe of a pick as you can take. If it's individual goalies, I think I'm staying away from Flurry because although I think he's the better goalie and I think he should start, I don't trust that he's going to play enough games for me to get enough points out of him. But on the other side, if you're playing in a league like that where you have to pick individual goalies, I think Robin Leonard as a later pick, there's potential that he could come in there take hold of that and be the guy all the way to the cup final, you could end up getting an absolute steal at goalie because I don't think many people are going to be looking at him in the earlier rounds. So he's another guy that I think that that's a situation where depending on the league you're in, um, there are a lot of different ways to go and a lot of different values. That's, that's the key on these playoff pools, man. It's that the big swings that connect are what win these things. It's not the safe pick. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's those uh, Anthony Manthas and the Palats, though, those kind of mid mid picks that can swing it for you. Jesse Granger, uh, good job not following uh, falling into the trap of saying Nate McKinnon's the guy to take and then saving it by saying go with the uh, Golden Knights goalies. Uh, this was great. Listen, enjoy the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, we'll certainly be looking forward to your coverage of the Golden Knights and kind of all those fantasy and, uh, and uh, lines that you're doing uh, for us. Thanks for this, and uh, we'll get you again once the playoffs uh, get underway next week. Can't wait. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Sean, time for us to open up the mailbag from our uh, listeners. Got lots of uh, emails coming in. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com is the way to uh, drop us a line. I like this one. We've kind of talked about this before. Sean Eckford has written into the show, Sean, and says... Hey guys, looks like the NHL is going to make those uh, uh, games happen between Calgary and Vancouver to honor the TV deals. So if they do want to get some eyeballs on meaningless games, why not play them with wrinkles to the rules like you see at research and development camps or like in minor league baseball, the Atlantic League, they move the pitching mound back uh, back and they do some different things. So what would you guys like to see tested out um, to tune into these games? I would go with allow pucks that hit off the net to stay in play. I'd like to see maybe the two line pass put back in, but or, or maybe take out offside of the blue line. And what about goalies not being allowed to freeze the puck? These are some of the ideas from Sean. Um, and we kind of talked about this a while back that we have meaningless games. The NHL should absolutely think about tinkering with the rules. These Vancouver Calgary games would be perfect for it. What would you like to see? Yeah, I mean, th- if you take offsides out for these three games, they would go from games that I have absolutely zero interest in to being something worth watching. Like that you would you would tune in to see that and and just kind of see how the game played out. And the other one is he, he mentions goalies not even not being able to freeze the puck. You don't even need a new rule for that. That's in the rule book. It's just one of those rules that over time we don't call anymore. Just tell the officials, you know, and, and both the teams for these few games we're going to call that rule as it's written which is that unless the goalie is being actively checked actively uh, you know has a player right in his face trying to get the puck off him he has to keep playing it or else it's delay a game i'd love to see it you know i those are things i've i've wanted to see for a while but maybe they wouldn't work and this would be a chance to to find that out uh in a way that would uh, would make these games feel like they were actually worth playing yeah i i don't know about the uh I think Sean said that he wanted to put the put the two line pass back in. It's so weird. Like I have totally forgotten about the two line pass. Like I don't even remember watching hockey with a two line pass. Yeah, and and I I I do to an extent, and I don't miss it. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it it clogged things up uh, losing that stretch pass. He's saying that in combination with taking the offsides out. So it basically. Yeah, he, we're we're going from two lines to one in in his version, so I get that. But to me, if you're going to take off sides out, just stretch it all the way out. You know, you want to have a guy three feet in front of the other team's goalie. Okay, well, let's your team's going to be playing shorthanded at the other end, but let's let's see how it goes. Got another email here from a listener, Ethan Wegg. Ethan has written in to the show at uh, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Hey guys, I've played hockey since I was very young, and then I played some college. Uh, hockey as well, almost exclusively as a defenseman. So that's going to make this question a little less embarrassing for me. So I watch a ton of hockey, but there's one thing I don't quite understand and I can never find the answer to. I don't understand the rules 
on faceoffs. What exactly causes a player to get tossed out by a linesman? I know there are rules about who gets to put their stick down, when and where, and I can never just seem to find a clear answer. I know there's also something about the home team and the visiting team. Uh, can you guys explain everything face-offs for me? That comes in from Ethan. And you know what's funny is last night I was at the, the season-ending game between Ottawa and Toronto, and Ottawa Senators rookie Shane Pinto got a penalty, Sean. The yep. rare face-off violation penalty. So it ca- gets called from time to time. Uh, but Ethan wants to know what's the deal with face-offs. Yeah. I, I mean, th- th- can we list all it? No, we can't because we've, this is, this is supposed to be a one hour podcast and, and we could go forever on it. But the, the, the short version is uh, he's, he's basically got it right. It, 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 two guys line up and there's rules about who has to put their stick down first. And the idea is, both guys have to line up. They have to line up in a certain spot. There's a, you see those lines on the ice, that little uh, those those straight lines. The, the skates have to have to be behind those lines. One guy puts a stick down first. It, it it used to be that it was always the visiting team had to put the stick down first. Now the rules have changed. If in, in the offensive zone, it's the the uh, offensive team gets gets the advantage. Um, but one stick goes down. And it can't move once it's down. The other stick goes down, it can't move, and then the puck drops. And it's supposed to happen very quickly, which is why you, when you're watching it on TV, it's, it's a lot of times it, it, you don't even feel like you, you really know or understand what was happening. Um, but the linesman is right there, and he sees it. And if he sees somebody skate in the wrong place, or he sees somebody put a stick down and then lift it back up or move it around, and guys are trying to cheat constantly, it's total gamesmanship. He's supposed to flag it down. The penalty we saw last night, that was a little bit different. That was for playing the puck with a glove after the faceoff, which is something else that they they added in. Um, it's a complicated thing. And and the reason, frankly, that a lot of times when you're watching and you'll see a play blowing dead and you go, I don't even understand why that is, it's because the linesman is right there looking at it and you're looking at it from far away on the TV and you're just not going to see the detail. And because they they get it lined up again so quickly, you almost never see a replay. The one thing on on the topic of faceoffs that 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 drives me crazy uh, is uh, I'm somebody who I hate the offside review. I, I can't stand that we take goals in a league that is starved for offense. We take goals off the board based on a fraction of an inch here and there. Somebody's skate wasn't in the right place. Somebody wasn't quite, even if it, even if we didn't notice it in real time, even if it didn't have anything to do with the play, People still say, no, we got to get it right. You got to call the rules. And my argument is always watch any faceoff and watch for the faceoff violations, specifically around where guys are allowed to be. Because it's not just the two guys in the circle. It's the guys outside the circle. They can't come in. Their, their skate can't touch that line. I promise you, the next time you're watching a game and you see a goal get scored off of a faceoff, go back and rewatch that faceoff. Almost guaranteed, you will see a violation somewhere. Somebody will skate will be over the line. Somebody will be in the wrong place. And nobody cares. We just let it go. We go, well, the linesman was supposed to catch that. They didn't. Play on. It's hockey. And and I think that's the right approach. I do not understand why all of these people who love the offside reviews because of, you know, we're good. Let's, let's stare at somebody's skate for a fraction of an inch. They don't do the same thing with the face-offs. And the reason we don't is because it would be taking even more goals off the board and it would feel ridiculous. That's how ridiculous offside review feels to me. All right, Ethan, I hope that answered your question from our resident uh, rules expert, Down Goes Brown. He's uh, he's great at that and he's also great at the uh, hockey history. And so as we wrap up the show, we always do a little this week. 
in hockey history. And of course, as we roll into the month of May, you know that uh, pretty much all of these are going to be playoff related. Sean, we go back to May 10th, 1970. So just over 50 years ago, Bobby Orr scores a Stanley Cup clinching goal for the Boston Bruins against the St. Louis Blues. Orr flying through the air is, I think, let, let me let me start with this as the premise. Bobby Orr flying through the air is the most iconic photo in hockey history. Agree or disagree? Yep. I, I I don't think there's I don't think there's any question. Okay. So then it it it, it brings up the the question if that is hands down the most iconic photo in hockey history, what's the second most iconic photo? Ah, uh, boy. Okay, so I got a few candidates here. The the first one that jumped to mind uh, when I saw this question was the the Boreas Salming after he got oh. his his face stepped on and he's just got the stitches all down. Uh, that would certainly be up there. There's some great moments that have photos associated with them, like Sidney Crosby right after the golden goal. Uh, Paul Henderson getting hugged right after he scores that goal. I, I think those are more great moments captured in a photo as opposed to, to necessarily great photos. Uh, there have uh, the the other one that comes to mind for me is uh, the very young Wayne Gretzky with Gordy Howe. Oh, with just the because stick. of yeah, yeah, because of because of what it it led to, and then the there, there's another one of uh, Guy Lafleur uh, after some milestone, and in the stands you see a, a teenage Mario Lemieux. Uh, that was that's very cool. But my answer here, and I'm going to go way back, even further back than Bobby Orr, but the. The photo at the end of the 1952 Stanley Cup final. Uh, is it with, Rocket uh, Richard? Rocket yeah. Richard and Jim Henry. Uh, and it's it's it basically the handshake is is how it's known. And and Rocket Richard, if you if you haven't seen the photo, I mean he is he's got bandages on his face. He's got blood on his uniform. He looks like he's been in a car accident. Jim Henry doesn't look much better, but it's this moment of sportsmanship. And Henry's like almost like. Almost looks like he's bowing to him. You know, it's it's just like it's that much respect between the two of them after this this brutal series. It's just always been a great photo that captures both sides of what hockey is, the 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 ugliness and then physicalness of it, plus the respect between two opponents. Uh okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a couple here. In fact, I wanna text okay, if I text you a photo right now, do okay. I send it to you via text or like can I text you a photo right now? Yeah, yeah okay. go ahead. So I'm going to text you a photo, but in the meantime, I'm also going to bring up another one. And you tell me if you think this is on the list. It's the 1980 Olympics and U.S. goalie Jim Craig with the American flag draped around his yeah, shoulders. that's a good one. Is that, that's a real you know? good one. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, as I've done that, I have, uh, I'm sending you a photo. This one, I think, doesn't get enough love for being an all-time great photo Oh boy. I knew it. I knew that was what it was going to be. I was, I was honestly waiting for it. The okay. Mark Messier, Gary Coleman. Yeah, that one is. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know what? That one might be better. That's the modern day Henry Richard. Uh, that's <laughs> that. That one might be it. Where, where Messier is holding the little stubby beer bottle and just doing the big Mark Messier laugh. Uh, yeah, that that might have to be the one. Yeah, and for people who haven't seen this photo, I would love to do, if somebody did a deep dive uh, on this, like an oral history of this story, like why Gary Coleman was in the Oilers locker room, why Mark Messier is essentially wearing a paper towel around his, uh, uh, you know, covering himself up. It's like a a hand towel. He's wearing a hand towel. uh, And he's laughing with Gary Coleman. And then there's the other photo, and I know I won't send it to you because I know you'll know what it is. 
It's a Michael Jackson impersonator dropping the puck with Mario Lemieux at a Vancouver yes. Canucks game back in the 80s. And there, wasn't there a story written on that a yeah. few years ago? Because yeah. the people weren't sure if that was actually... But it wasn't, Mike, it wasn't Michael. Michael But it turned out it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. And then the other one that always comes to mind for me is the uh, Wayne Gretzky covered in bubbles walking <laughs> through the, the locker room. Yeah. I don't know what the story is on that one, um, but it's it's another one that'll that'll haunt you. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, I I would absolutely read five thousand words on that Gary. Like, why is Gary Coleman holding what looks like an autograph book? I, like, so many who's questions. asking for whose autograph? Gary Coleman's way more famous than Mark Messier in that moment. But oh, okay. yeah, okay. Last uh, this week in hockey history, May fourteenth, nineteen ninety three. Uh, we just mentioned Mario Lemieux. Uh, the Penguins' quest for a third consecutive Stanley Cup comes to a crashing halt when David Volek of the New York Islanders stuns the Penguins in Game 7 overtime. I think, Sean, and I think this is probably like an age thing where you and I were, were, you know, were the same age. So you think back of like these shocking moments in hockey history. So for me, in terms of NHL history, I think David Volek's goal is the most stunning goal to me that I couldn't believe what I just saw. Is that, are you uh, on the yeah. same train as me? It could definitely be up there because there have been more shocking upsets, uh, but to have it just distilled into one goal like that, because it, here's the thing, that the Pittsburgh Penguins, they won the Stanley Cup in 91 and 92. And those were obviously very good teams. They won the Stanley Cup. They had Mario, they had Yarmer Jagger. But in the regular season, they, they hadn't been great. Those were like 80 something point teams. And then and then they did the they they had it come together in the playoffs. But you never felt heading into that 92-93 season like you had ever seen the best of the Penguins yet. And it was sort of like, man, if they ever put it all together, look out. And then that was the season that it happened. I mean, they were they were so good for the first half. Then Mario gets cancer. He's he's gone for a couple of months. He comes back, goes on that legendary hot streak to take back the scoring title. The, the Penguins, I don't think, lose a game for like the last 20 games of the season. They, they literally are unbeatable down the stretch. Uh, and then you go into that series against the Islanders. The Islanders don't have Pierre Turgeon because the Dale Hunter hit has just happened. And they're hanging around and they're hanging around. And it's game seven. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't remember about that game. Everybody remembers the Volek goal. A lot of people remember the Kevin Stevens injury, which was terrible and, and sucked a lot of the energy out of the, out of the game and the building. But... The Islanders were winning that game three to one late in the third period with like like a few minutes to go. They're up three to one. So you're sitting there watching it and you're going, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. The Islanders are going to beat the Penguins. They're going to knock out Mario. They're going to knock out. This is, this is crazy. And then the Penguins score twice in the final minutes to force overtime. And so you're sitting there going, well, that's, that's it. Uh, the Islanders had their chance. They had Muhammad Ali on the ropes and they let him off. And now Mario or Jagger, somebody is going to do something crazy in overtime. And we're going to get Mario against Patrick Waugh and maybe Mario against Gretzky and all of this other stuff. And then David Volek scores the goal and you're just sitting there going, I, I can't believe what I just saw. I can't believe this Islanders team just knocked out the best, one of the very best teams in NHL history, that 93 Penguins. Uh, and, and it just, the, the, the silence in the building and then everything to go with it. One of the most stunning moments I've ever seen. Yeah, and uh, it, kind of a one, uh, kind of a one-hit wonder, so to speak, in uh, in David Volek 
that you know he never didn't really do anything else. And you're right, Ron Francis scored to make it three two with four minutes to go. Rick Tockett with the tying goal with a minute to go. So they were a minute away from losing in regulation time uh, before David Volek uh, had his overtime heroics. All right, we'll uh, we'll leave the conversation uh, there as always, Sean. This was uh, this was a ton of fun. Have a have a great weekend. Enjoy some of the uh, the spring summer weather that has finally entered our neck of the woods. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week when the Stanley Cup playoffs get rolling. Right on. All right, and uh, big thanks to everybody for joining us. Like I said, we'll talk to you again next week. I'll be back in this chair with Haley Salvian on Monday as we promoted Craig Custin, Sean Gentilly. They're up on Tuesday, and then uh, the two man advantage uh, with Scott Burnside, Pierre LeBrun comes your way on Wednesday. So we got you covered wall to wall. If you want to hit us up, as I mentioned, email us any question, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. Drop us a voicemail too. We'd love to hear your voice. 845-445-8459. And if you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show.